0: Hi, I'm Rina Grove And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madvi, what's the topic this week? This week I'm very happy to be talking to Nina Fuchs, who is the founder of KO, which stands for Kind Opfer. In German and in English the translation would be No Victims. It's a non-profit organization that fights for the rights of victims of sexualized violence and works towards this grand vision of a world free of sexualized violence. Welcome Nina and thank you so much for taking the time to inform us about this topic in Germany especially.
1: Hi, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here and yeah, talk about these topics that are very close to my heart. Yeah,
0: all the way from Munich, too. Yeah, I was really shocked, actually. Looking at your website, there's this statistic that says that in Germany, of all the reported rape cases, only 7.5% result in a conviction. And that means if you include all the huge unreported rate of 85%, Only one in about 100 rape cases lead to a conviction. And your organization is addressing this massive structural discrimination and systemic problem. And I just wanted to know, like, how is your organization doing this? You're working on a lot of different levels with schools, with jurisdiction, with police, with victims.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, First of all, I want to apologize that our website is still only in German you had a look at it you've probably seen that it's a lot of text there so unfortunately even though I'm a translator by profession I didn't have the time to do that which is a bit embarrassing but yeah as you said we have so much work because for me the only thing that will work towards a change in society is a holistic approach where we can work on different levels, like one key aspect is prevention work, that means that we go to school and talk to really young people, ideally before they become a victim or perpetrator, because this is something that we have to be aware of, that in schools are not only the future potential victims, but also the future potential perpetrators, so if you can actually reach them and yeah, make something change in, in their minds, in their attitudes, this is for me just the most sustainable way of working towards that better society. So that is really, really important for me. And at the moment we are busy with two school projects, a smaller one that is already Safe in terms of financial support, uh, we got a funding from a Munich bank that is supporting a lot of social projects. And the other one, we are still in in the process of asking for the funding. That will be a very, very huge school project for all schools in Germany, basically. And our goal is to reach basically every teenager between. 13 and 15 in the schools. So that is one really, really important thing for me. And then you mentioned also like this whole jurisdiction, police, uh, politics. So this is also something where we do like advocacy work. And our goal is to also change the law governing sexual offenses, because right now it's based on this no means no. But we are convinced that we really need yes means yes and have this concept of consent really as part of this law. But I've actually been in the German Bundestag very recently in a discussion about the current law. And actually my hopes are not up anymore that this will happen very soon. So I think we will need... A bit more patience with that and continue to work towards that. But there are so many other things in this area with the police and the jurisdiction that go wrong. So we can already focus on that for now, that we can improve the situation for survivors of sexualized violence in that area for now. And then maybe next year or the year after, push more towards the change in the law.
0: You just said so many things. I want to ask you about them in a little bit more detail. First of all, why do you think the German government is not willing to pass this yes means, yes law, which they did in Spain and some other countries. So it's not like that new in the European Union
1: to, to have this. First of all, I think it's like typical German thing in general that they are just super slow. Yes. Everything takes ages unfortunately if you look in into other countries for example the netherlands i've lived there for a couple of years and i realized with other topics how fast things can actually change so this is not the case here in germany <laughs> things just move slowly in general so that i think is one thing and the other thing that i noticed in this discussion with other experts and politicians, is that the change to no means no only happened in 2016. That is six years ago when we had this change. And from a legal point of view and the the point of view of the people that actually have to work with this law, judges, lawyers, etc., the no means no regulation and the change in the law Complicated things a lot. So, what I kind of heard between the lines was that they are really afraid that when you now change it again and implement the only yes means yes, that the whole thing gets so much more complex and complicated that they are a little bit afraid of how they can put it in in the right legal way to not create too much problems. This is I think is the core issue why they are super hesitant, and it's actually not only politicians that are hesitant, it's also the other organizations that have actually worked in that change in two thousand sixteen and they put like I think twenty years of work into having that change, and even those people are also hesitant I mean for me. Why well, I'm not hesitant at all. And I have to admit, I'm not in any legal profession. I don't have any legal background. I come from a totally different point of view. And for me, it's just the thing that right now, if a person is passive and not, not interacting, this can be interpreted as consent. And this is wrong. Of course, yeah.
0: It's a freeze mode, right? And people react differently. And it shocks me, actually, because for me, the yes means yes is the clearest cut way you could do this law, actually. Like, it, it seems so simple as a person who's not in the law at all. Like, to be like, why is this complicated? This is the easiest way to clarify relations between people. And there's also so much room for misinterpretation. Between people, I was reading about this very, very famous case, the Wolfpack case in uh, Spain. I don't know if you know it, but it led to massive protests. And a lot of guys just interpreted this thing as it's fine, and maybe because of, like, porn, maybe because their point of view is different. Also, I mean, of course, there is a lot of, like, rape culture and there's rapists and violence, but also there's people that just see totally different realities. Whereas if you have a communication... And somebody asks you and you answer positive, that's the clearest way to clear out any misunderstanding, any ambiguity, anything. So it's really surprising when I hear that people are saying,
1: well, this is makes things complicated. But anyway. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. And that's also why when we go to schools and do workshops on the topic of consent, that the main focus is on communication actually and on boundaries setting boundaries knowing my own boundaries but then also respecting the boundaries of others and being more sensitive with noticing the boundaries because body language Mm. is so obvious you just really have to to look and want to see it i think that people are just not trained and not willing To notice all these signs that are there you can so easily when you have this like picture in your mind of going out in a bar and then a random guy is approaching and trying to to flirt or whatever, begin a conversation. You can immediately notice if the other person is interested or not. Even though the person is educated to smile politely and be polite and even if The person is not into it, not to let it show because this is our education, especially as women, we were brought up to be nice and polite and that stuff. But you would still see from the body language if this is really the truth or if it's just pure politeness. So I think this is really important to train that. I think
0: really gender has so much to do with it and how our society works and feminism has a big role to play because like you say first of all women are trained and socialized to be accommodating but that doesn't necessarily mean consent and then there's the other thing as in men just see a lot of women and I know men are also victims of sexual assault and violence that's also a thing but when it comes to men and women men just see women as like objects and something to be used for their pleasure and yeah it's really shocking also that no means no just happened not that long ago i mean i remember when i was young in london we used to go to like nightclubs, and all the men just used to touch you yeah and it never occurred
1: to me to call the police (laughs) it's just no right same here i had exactly the same experiences it was just something you knew would happen Mm. and it was like a lucky coincidence if you had a night where it didn't happen this is Why I personally really prefer to go to gay bars because this was the place where I knew I can go there and the chances that I just have a fun night out with no being molested or, I mean, often the case when someone is trying to flirt with you and you say no, the reaction is very, very negative. So you're you either too prude or too ugly or too much of a slut this is the reaction you get when you when you try to say no yeah male fragility is also a thing absolutely it's horrible and this is everything you don't have in the gay club so this is why i always prefer to go there just because it made me feel more safe and more that i can just have fun And what you mentioned earlier also with pornography, I think this is also really a big issue that plays into that because the mainstream pornography, and I've seen quite a lot of it, most of it is sexualized violence. Mm -hmm. I find it
0: very violent, all mainstream pornography. I just cannot watch it. It's violent and totally objectifying and demeaning and humiliating. And it's got nothing to do with real Sex, and then if you think about a whole generation of children thinking that this is sex, of course, if they're in this situation in real life, this is actually rape and assault. So it's really important to go into schools because if somebody came into my school and said, Well, if somebody, I mean, we had the talk if somebody touches you, but it was always like in a family abuse situation, but not like if you go to a club and somebody touches you, call the police, and this isn't a crime and this is what you should do, and it was
1: totally normalized. Yeah, and that's the same with porn. It's also normalized. It's not put in this context where you actually, when you watch that, that you are informed that this is an act of violence and that is not a situation of consent. This is not a warning you're given or a context. It's just, this is like a normal situation. Mm-hmm. It should be like that. That's the message you get. And this is so harmful. And also for men, is the, the picture that's shown of a man that always wants to have sex, always can have sex. This, like, kind of animalistic behavior, mm-hmm. always potent and willing, is also wrong. And it's super harmful for men also. And when you know that already 11-year-old children are actually watching that, this is really like, oh my god, is a nightmare just just to to imagine that
0: totally yeah i think it's really interesting that you're doing you know from 13 to 15 and that's great age i've written some articles about porn and porn culture and things and talked to some other people who say like for example when you're raising a child and this also happened when i was young you know you had to go around and give everyone a hug and a kiss when you left somewhere or something like this and they said well actually yeah, please don't make your children do that. Yeah, teach them their autonomy over their own body. So, like for me, I think most ideas are set from very young, from like
1: three to six. Yeah, what you actually should do is, especially with the topic of consent, start as early as possible, like really in in the kindergarten, like even before school, like the age you just mentioned. In a way, obviously, that is adequate for the age. And then you should do that, like, basically through all this, like, stages, um, primary school, and then later, basically until they are maybe 16, mm-hmm. that this topic is constantly present, always adequate to the respective age. But the thing is, we are so far away from having this ideal situation and the big project what we're doing is not only on consent is also about rape drugs and this is why i thought that we cannot go below 13 yes because when you talk about rape drugs you cannot tell a 10 year old or nine year old so this is why we put this age group even though i know that probably they have already seen porn before Mm -hmm. and they have already seen how it should not be without knowing that it shouldn't be like that. So I hope it's not too late, but we're gonna try. And also what I wanted to say about Spain, um, you mentioned it also in terms of that they implemented the only yes means yes in their law, but Also, I know that they have done a really, really great job in bringing down the numbers of femicides. And what they did was also applying this holistic approach and not only changing laws, but putting this whole topic of sexualized violence, femicides, violence against women on a very high priority. And then like looking at it also from different angles. So they changed how they do the uh, sex education at school for example mm-hmm. they change the, they... the way that they do the sex so, education schools that? because often school education is super old i think in germany the current system we have now is like i don't know from the 60s or something maybe i'm exaggerating i don't know numbers but i know that it's super old and too old so we really need to change like the whole system and actually make it adequate for the time we are in right now. And I think Spain did that really in a good way that they understood that just changing a law will not be the, the solution, but you have to do it on, on every possible level if you really want to achieve great results. This is also when I keep continuing talks with other organizations and politicians that I want to push them to you know look a little bit how did Spain do that what can we maybe copy from them and and use also for our country to make that work because we also have quite high numbers of femicides here what they always say is that every third day um, a, a woman is killed And every day someone is trying to kill a woman. But actually, when I followed the numbers, also during the pandemic, it uh, increased. And it was basically almost every second day that a woman got killed. For a country that thinks it's so super developed... This is
0: really, really poor. Exactly. That's what's really shocking about this, that this is a a country that you think, well, we, well, I don't think so. But a lot of people are like, well, we achieved equality. But actually, murdering women just shows you how not valuable women's lives are considered.
1: Yeah, and also what you mentioned in the beginning with this one conviction in a 100 rape cases. And I lived in, in Morocco for three months last year. And I talked about this a lot. Also, I was in a very international uh, women's group where we had women from Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, Sudan, countries with very different culture than than Germany. And all of them were super shocked because they had expected that it would be so much different and so much better in Germany. And they were just so shocked when they saw that there wasn't that much difference to their own countries in that respect. Of course, we don't have to fight as women here in Germany to drive a car. Of course, there are many areas where all the women before us in the last decades have fought so hard and achieved changes and improvement. And I'm super, super grateful for every woman, every person that made that possible. But when you look in, especially in the area of sexualized violence, it's not that good. And it's not that huge of a difference to other countries. And I realized, especially in Morocco, when I talked to people, how shocked they were. A lot of people, even in Germany, they don't know. I didn't know before I started to basically I was forced, thanks to my own history to start looking into this topic and and I didn't know before I thought it was okay
0: here, yeah, I think this is a an important thing because there's a real culture of silence as well around this topic, and you could see that with even the Me Too movement, all of these stories just started coming out, you know? So they were all there under this thin veneer of everything's fine. Yeah, But as soon as people start speaking, more and more and more stories come out and you realize nothing has been solved. Do you do some work with victims and around silence and dialogue and things like this?
1: Yeah, also... I always emphasize that we are not this typical victim organization. We are also not a self-help group, but we do try to form a community of survivors. For example, in September, we had our first community weekend close to Berlin. And we will have that every year. It was for women only, female survivors. but. In the beginning, I wanted to open it for all kind of survivors. Like, doesn't matter what your gender is. But then I realized now that we only had it for women because we couldn't find any men that help us in the organization team. And then we thought, okay, we cannot be like a 100% female team and then open it for men. That doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. So... We said, okay, for now we only can open it for women. But then we had this weekend and I realized that it was so important to create this safe space for women because thanks to patriarchy, we haven't learned to to build our safe spaces, to be in in groups with other women, to support each other. Patriarchy did exactly the opposite, that... We were basically taught all the other women are like in your competition kind of thing. You know, we are not taught these are your sisters. Mm -hmm. So I realized that for healing this huge wound that patriarchy has created in this like womanhood and, and sisterhood, we need this. So we will keep it actually for all the people that identify as female. And then rather look into creating other events or spaces where then all people are welcome, or maybe something we can create especially for men. So this is important to me, but I think in this format is better to keep it for women. And if we were in in Brandenburg, one and a half hours with the train south of Berlin, in in a beautiful forest, and at a Very huge, beautiful lake where you could go swimming. And we had this really nice, huge area just for us. And the feedback we got from the participants was so special and heartwarming. And really, I had tears when, when I read them, because some of them really said that this was one of the most beautiful experiences they had in their lives. And I realized that whatever issue you have, whatever you experienced, when you learn at some point that you are not alone and you're not the only one and there are other people out there that share that experience and they share the feelings you have and the struggles you have, this is so powerful and so necessary for healing, especially in the trauma context. I realized we have on Instagram this community that is not super big, but it's very interactive. And from that, I had this idea, I want to create this outside of the Internet. I want to create this in real life that you can sit there and know the people sitting next to you have similar experiences or the same experience and they understand you and you don't have to explain yourself justify yourself whatever yeah and it worked it really really worked it was exactly how I envisioned it and I'm really looking forward already to do it again next year in summer so this is basically the part what I'm trying to do for the survivor community
0: that sounds so nice I think we were also talking about Spain and the catalyst for a lot of what happened in Spain was because you were talking about how holistic this stuff is. One of the things is women all coming together and just saying like, enough is enough. And they had one of their slogans was, you touch one of us, you touch all of us. And that unity is really important to foster. And also I like the the thing that's in person because like everything is connected. It's like, how do we view our bodies? How are we present? How do we relate to each other and not be seen in competition with each other and seen from the outside, from a male gaze? Like there's so many things connected to this subject of sexual assault. It runs through our entire society and culture and our physicality and everything. So it's a really, really nice approach. You mentioned it a bit before that you started this organization from a personal experience do you want to tell me about like what happened and why you decided to start this organization
1: um i have experienced like a lot of sexual violence in my life to different extent and actually i learned sexuality in the context of my boundaries were like constantly not respected this is how i learned sexuality and that was very harmful for everything that that came later because from the beginning I had learned that my boundaries they don't count and I experienced several situations that were clearly rape but I didn't label them as rape which is also like a little bit part of the culture you just mentioned
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yes that you have um We often talk about this called rape myths. So you have completely wrong ideas in, in your mind. And so I never labeled it and I never really understood what it, what happened, what had happened and what it actually was. Mm -hmm. The only thing that happened was that I felt guilty and I thought it was my fault. Because I had accepted that those guys can come home with me. So it was my fault. And the end result was just self-hatred, basically. Then, almost 10 years ago, I went out with a group of, like, not really close friends I was just friends with one person and that was his group so I didn't even know them and they went to a club I would not normally go to and when they left because they had to go to work the next day and I wanted to stay longer uh, someone uh, spiked my drink and I have this like one and a half or two hour blackout. And no memory whatsoever. And when I slowly. Gain back memory. It was basically in the middle of the rape. With two. Men I had never seen before in my life. So is You can imagine it a little bit like you are sleeping. And you wake up. And this is the situation. And I was just. I was not like in this typical freeze mode where i just couldn't do anything but i was so overwhelmed with the situation and that i had no idea how it how what was the story before how did i get to that point i don't know these 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 people and this because i was so overwhelmed i couldn't do anything mm-hmm even though people were actually coming and asking. So this is also like a clear sign that it didn't look like consent because you would never go to a situation where uh, people are having sex and then talking to them. No. Except it looks really strange. And for me, this is also the evidence that it looked really strange and that they thought something is wrong here. And that's why they came and asked but i wasn't able to tell them that i don't even know those people so um the guys basically told them yeah this everything is fine and and sent they sent them away and probably because i didn't say anything they left and i don't have any clear memory of that situation so i also don't know how it ended but The next day, I talked to my friend, who is also the brother-in-law of my sister. And when I tried to, yeah, kind of put the pieces together from that night, very quickly, we found out that the only explanation for that, what happened, is rape drugs, basically. And then he also said. You have to go to the police. And my first reaction was no. I don't want to go there. Again I had this problems. With feeling super guilty. Because I thought. If I had gone home with the group. This wouldn't have happened. So... Um, and also I felt. So bad. Mentally and physically. That I thought I would not have the strength. To go through the procedure um at the police station so but in the end my sister kind of yeah brought me to the police because she was a little bit desperate she wanted to respect my wishes but then she also called several people to get information how she should behave and then it was clear okay with rape drugs time is really essential and then she thought, because she knows that I'm a person that is like, I hate injustice. And I'm, if there's injustice somewhere, I want to fight against it. And if I cannot do that, this is for me, like this feeling of being powerless is the worst feeling for me. So I think this is why she kind of decided on my behalf. Um, so we went to the police and. What I experienced there was worse than the rape. They didn't believe me. They told me that basically rapes, rape drugs, uh, don't exist. It's just, um, in the media that is making this huge thing out of it. They did everything wrong that you can do wrong with the investigation. Oh my God. They didn't even, you know, look for the people that actually came there and talked to me. Oh my God. And in the end, they also took a very long time until they finally got the blood and urine sample to test for the rape drugs. So there were no traces left because it was just too late. Because... Yeah, due to them, it took two uh, hours longer than when we had had taken the samples right in the beginning when I came there. Terrible. So. And then that was really, like, traumatic experience for me. The rape itself was not that traumatic for me because I had so many experiences beforehand. So, actually... Right now I'm do, I'm in therapy and doing this, um, trauma therapy because it took me so long to realize that the trauma that I have from sexualized violence is different because it was built over so many years, basically almost my whole life. And it was not that one traumatic incident that caused PTSD. And then you have triggers and flashbacks and all this stuff. I never had that. So I thought, okay, cool. I'm not traumatized. <laughs> Only by the police. So it took me so many years to just figure out, no, I'm traumatized just in a different way. But what I experienced with the police was just a nightmare. And then the nightmare story not over yet. The traces they found in in my um vagina basically with dna traces from one of the guys there wasn't uh, any match in the database so they closed the case and then 5 years later i got a letter from the uh, prosecution here in munich that now they have a match in the database they they found the suspected perpetrator, so my case is reopened, and they investigate again, and everything, and I talked to the prosecutor, female prosecutor, and she was super nice, loyal, supportive, we talked for half an hour on the phone, and then, eight months later, she... Called me and told me she she had closed the case. Why? In the letter that she wrote to my lawyer with the justification for that, she said uh, it's due to my lack of memory. And it's also not certain that I didn't have sexual interactions with other men in that night. And that for me was like, it was just like a
0: horror. All the responsibility is put on you, and then also, like,
1: the guilt thing and the shame. Yeah, and also this, you know, lack of memory. I mean, is this really the message we want to send out, that cases get closed once the victim has a lack of memory? Yeah, great. So, (laughs) free pass for every perpetrator. Mm -hmm. I just... um yeah make sure my victim has a lack of memory and i'm fine and also if you think about like five
0: years so this was found somewhere else this dna whatever i mean imagine how many victims of how many women in this meantime because of the lack of uh, prosecution and the lack of taking things seriously that
1: other people just suffer and it just feels like it doesn't matter and that for me was the moment that kind of changed everything because I, I already said the worst feeling for me is feeling powerless. And this is how she made me feel and this whole system made me feel. And I thought, like, I got drugged and raped. And my, my biggest issue is the police and the jurisdiction. How sad is that? And then I I started a petition online that got very huge until today. It's like more than 110,000 uh, signatures. That sparked a lot of media attention. But in the end, for my personal uh, legal case, it hasn't helped at all. It just got denied, denied, denied on every level. Right now, my case is... In Strasbourg, in front of the Court of Human Rights, mm-hmm. European Court of Human Rights, already like one and a half years. so I'm waiting to hear back from them, according to my lawyer, chances are zero. <laughs> but we will see, and uh, actually there is no verdict from the European Court of Human Rights in the area of sexual violence from Germany. Zero verdicts. What does that mean? That means either that there have been no cases brought to them oh. or that the cases that were brought to them were not accepted. I tried to find out what the case is, if there really were no cases brought to them or if they were just never accepted. And it was unfortunately impossible for me to find out numbers. Mm-hmm. But just the number that there was no verdict, so they accepted no case. And once you learn about how many things go wrong in Germany in that area of sexualized violence, impossible. It's really weird that that they had are no cases in front of the European Court of Human Rights. And what I learned is that to get there, the barriers are really high. So, that might be one explanation why there are not many cases. So, for me personally, this whole legal process cost me 22,000 euros. Wow. Luckily, I didn't have to pay uh, for that myself because I don't think it is my responsibility to pay for it myself. Mm-hmm. And I don't have it also. <laughs> but I got luckily a lot of support through crowdfundings, mm. Which was also thanks to my petition. Because I could ask the people that had signed the petition for support. Financial support. And that was really one of the moments in this whole journey. That were so special for me. Like all the disappointments. And... Everything I experienced with the police and the justice system were a little bit balanced through the experience that just a lot of like foreigners that don't know me giving money to me to support this. In the beginning, I was Hesitant to ask people for their signatures for the petition because it felt so wrong for me to ask people for help. Mm. And then they had to ask them for like 25 grand. And that was really hard for me. I had to go way out of my comfort zone to do that. But then to experience that people actually are there for you and support you, even if they they don't know you. I I was like, why do they trust me? They don't know me. And that was that was really like very, very special for me. And I mean I even though I experienced a lot of shit in my life, I never lost trust in in life, in in, in humanity, in people. And and that was were the moments that were really like feeding this distrust and, and telling me that it's a good thing that I haven't lost this trust.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. But also, like, to go all the way to Strasbourg, I mean, you have to be a real fighter because I think not many people, especially after you've had such a bad experience, because you would only go there if you're not, you know, the conviction has not happened and all this kind of stuff. You And then you've had a bad experience, obviously, with the police, probably. And then you've had a bad, then you have trauma. And then you have your life. And then you have, like, 25 grand. I mean, how is anyone even going to
1: have the fight in them to, to continue thing is that during that journey my focus changed it started with the focus on myself and that I felt treated unfairly mm-hmm. and I I experienced injustice against myself that was the starting point but then when it continued and also because I started already in 2016 to publicly speak about what happened, mainly because I was so angry about the police. I wanted to, I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to tell everyone how that went and how, how they treated me. And because of that, a lot of other people came to me and, and talked about their experiences and their stories. And then I realized quite quickly that my story is not this like isolated incident where unfortunately everything went wrong. But this is like one story out of so, so many. And actually the cases where everything went right is the exception. So during all, especially that legal journey, my focus shifted more and more to, I want to use my story to change it for all the people and to get like this media attention to maybe change something in the structures, in the system, so that in the future, other women and other people that have experienced that don't have to go through that. And that at least in in a legal situation at the police station with the um, jurisdiction, They don't have to experience that. They are treated better. And this is also the case why now I went to Strasbourg, because I can never get a fair trial. This ship has sailed um, like in 2020 already, because even when they accept the case in Strasbourg and there is a trial, and I win, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: nothing will happen. There are no consequences. They will tell the prosecution how they handled it was wrong. And that's it. And I get compensated financially. Mm. There will never be a fair trial with the suspected perpetrator. Never. So the only reason why I'm doing that is that I have hope that maybe no matter how it ends, we will have enough media attention to change something in the system. Yeah, This is the only reason why I'm doing that. Because otherwise. I mean the outcome is shit. I don't even know what what does it mean. I get compensated financially. Do I get 100 euro? Do I get 1000 euro? I don't know. This is not about the money. <laughs> so. It costs energy. It costs a lot of money. Even if it's other people's money. So there would be no reason to do that it's really just my great hope is that I can use this also in the context of what I told you, that there has never been a verdict in that area from Germany. Mm. You know, maybe to get this like big case, big attention and then something changes. Good luck. Fingers
0: crossed. Thank you. Now you work with the police and I just wanted to ask how that is.
1: You mean in the context of the NGO?
0: Of the NGO, yes.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, we have not managed to get to that stage where we can actually work with them. What I do is Mm -hmm. there's this great organization that's called Victim Support Europe. It's this umbrella organization for all the victim organizations in the European countries. And I work with them. When they do conferences, I speak as a victim myself. And also then when I, it's like the same here, you know, you can never really ask me about my story without that I'm giving you like other information about how the situation is, where the problems are, Mm -hmm. you know, what needs to change. I mean, this is what I do. This is my work. I'm using my story to talk about the general situation and the general issues. Victim Support Europe is working very closely to different EU institutions, also institutions where they make actually regulations. And what they're also doing is they have developed a training program for basically all the kind of people that work with victims, all kinds of victims, because the focus is more on how do I work with a traumatized victim? Mm-hmm. So this whole trauma-informed content are in this training. And I was part of this training. They asked me to do one module and talk about what needs to change, especially with the police in this area with sexualized violence. So this is more like on this meta level where I work, but also... You have to bear in mind that actually yesterday was only our second birthday of the NGO. Happy birthday! Thanks! And I do have people that are helping me and working with me. I have a colleague and now our first official employee will start this week. But mainly I am doing the work. So this is also why before we started, I told you that I had not many free days in the last months because I have to do everything you know and what is also one very important part of my work and our work is like looking for platforms to talk about these uh, things because you said earlier there's this blanket of silence and I often say yeah there's this still this taboo and You only can break that when you go out and you Mm -hmm. be present in the media. Like what we do now, you know, we have this podcast interview or I'm like often invited to television shows. And this is also something I have to do. And I would say that I probably have 60 hours a week where I do all this different kind of work. We have to do social media. We have to do all this, organizational bureaucracy stuff, accounting. Often I feel like I'm just like company and I'm every single department myself. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot and so we still have to grow and build this infrastructure and get the funding. And then at some point in the future I really want to work also with the police like one one on one where we really talk to them and maybe develop a training for them or something. But yeah, for now, our main focus is actually on the school projects and to do the community weekend again in in summer. And I would love to, you know, do everything. And at the moment, we are in a coaching program as NGO. We won a scholarship, a coaching scholarship. Mm -hmm. And this is the feedback I get constantly. You cannot do everything. Yeah, I know, but I can do a lot.
0: (laughs) Yay! Go, Nina! (laughs) You've kind of answered it already, but I wanted to say, like, we're at the end of the year and you've been working really hard. Like, what have been your big wins for this year? Like, I think you already answered it a little bit with this. um, The retreat, I guess, would be one of them. The coaching scholarship.
1: Yeah, that was also really good. Mm-hmm. And also we got the, actually what I said earlier, the small school project. The funding from this uh, Munich bank um, was our first funding that we got. Before that, we really only got the the membership fees. But because for me, it was very important that... It's not the financial situation that decides whether someone can uh, be a member of our NGO or not. We decided to have this reduced membership fee of three euros a month. Mm. And actually a lot of people use that possibility because you don't have to give any explanation. You just, I trust that people, if they choose for that, they have a reason and they don't have to prove anything. And I would say that actually a third of our members really uses this option. So there's not a massive amount that's coming in through the membership fees. And then obviously donations. Sometimes there are people that give like bigger donations. I have a very dear friend We went to school together and he has already like donated twice 500 euros. Wow which I think is really a lot as a private person. But then also a lot of people, like they donate maybe 10 euros or 12 euros. And we really need to build this infrastructure, especially from a financial point of view. But I know even if I'm not super good with patience, If you want to build something, it takes time. I mean, you've done so much in in
0: two years. Like, it's really amazing. And if anyone does want to donate, however much anything, go to the website, which is ko-ev.de. And then there's a little green button on there that says, "Jetzt spenden, which is like, now donate. And yeah, you can make your nice Christmas
1: donation there. And... Even though the website is not in English, once you get to the donation website, it is in English. <laughs> because we work with a company that is basically giving this whole platform and structures for all kind of membership fees, donations. And that is when they realize that your mobile phone is maybe in a different language or your location is different, then it switches to English automatically.
0: And we'll link directly to your donation page from our newsletter. Thanks. That's really nice. I
1: really appreciate it.
0: And yeah, which brings us on to, at the end of each episode, we do this thing where we just recommend three tips for people to be a better person this week. What would your three pieces of advice be to be a better person this week?
1: For me, it's really important how you interact in society. So... I would just say one thing is just to be a bit more friendly than usual when you interact just in your daily business. Be uh, extra nice to the person that works in the supermarket or um, maybe just smile randomly at someone that crosses your path in the street, something like that, just to bring a bit more positive energy into society. And you can have this like tiny micro connections and then regarding the the situation with what we spoke about this topic i would say if someone happens to talk to you about maybe some personal experience it's so important to just listen and believe the person not ask any weird victim blaming questions not. Give any weird comments, just be there for the person and, and give the person that space. And the last one. There are like many, many books out there. I have one book here. It's an American a female author called uh, Stacy Haynes, The Survivor's Guide to Sex. How to have an empowered sex life after child sexual abuse. You can see it's not a very thin book. (laughs) I think it gives like very good advice and something to think about. And in German, actually, the title is Breathing Out. And then it has this like subtitle that's similar to the, the English original title. And I actually really love that because you're under so much pressure with that kind of experiences and especially in the context of sex life everything's so difficult and just like breathing out is like <sighs> top tips thank
0: you very much and thank you yeah, very much for welcome. sharing your story and for all of your work that you thank do. you so much if you like this show please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as €4 a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com we would love to hear from you